Hey, Digitally China is produced together with our friends at Radii, this awesome independent media platform. If you're interested in culture and innovation in China, you should definitely check out RadiiChina.com. They'll give you an inside look into everything from China's underground music scene to bike sharing. That's RadiiChina.com. So I've actually been wanting to do an episode on China's gaming industry for a long time now. It's the world's largest gaming market, but also one of the most tightly regulated. And at the same time, it's a market that's notorious for bootleg games and copycats, while having an extremely vibrant and active gaming community. So when I saw the news at the end of last month about Tencent launching something called Games for Peace, basically a sanitized version of battle royale game that was wildly popular in China last year, I knew we had to talk about it. I will say that China teams are all great. Just feel the whole team. Many companies have had success in the West, only to find that their games simply get lost in translation. Something else that makes this topic really timely is that last year, Chinese regulators actually stopped approving new licenses that companies need to monetize their games for nine months, and this gaming freeze wiped out almost 200 billion dollars from Tencent's market valuation, and the company records first profit drop in like a decade. So I think that kind of shows how important gaming is in China's tech industry, even beyond you know the sector of gaming itself. Research. Complete. Stay a while and listen. Welcome to Digitally China, a podcast about the fascinating Chinese, Chinese tech, tech industry. industry created together with Radii. I'm Eva. I'm Jacob, and I'm Tom. So, according to various studies, China's gaming industry is now, in fact, the largest in the world. You may know their messaging app called WeChat. Chinese outbound M&A. Chinese corporates are buying international companies at record pace. The hottest phone you've probably never heard of. China's Xiaomi. Yes, it's staked its claim to Apple's crown. Major deal over in China. You have Chinese tech giant Tencent leading an 8.6 billion dollar acquisition to buy a major stake in Supercell. 14.3 billion dollars in sales clocked by a Chinese e-commerce site in one wild day. In order to understand the full extent of this, first we need to understand how regulations work. And you, Eva, you talked to a few people in the industry about this. So to be honest, actually, when I read the news about the gaming freeze last year, and then also new rules came out this year, I really expected to have conversations with developers, analysts, and gamers that would be along the lines of, you know, these new changes are really gonna, you know, destroy the industry, or this is like a shows that the industry is tightening up. Because a lot of media articles were angled this way, but when I spoke to different people in the industry, I think I got a more nuanced sense of overall, like how the regulatory environment is for for games. So maybe something that makes China a bit different than other countries is that in China, if you're a game developer, if you want to make money in your games, not through ads, but in-game purchases, let's say. You need to get a publication number, a bat hall. It's kind of like a license. And when you apply for that license, 
that's when your content has to tick off all these boxes and not include certain things. That's where the regulatory and you could say censorship or content control part comes in. And the main difference the last few years is that they have much tighter regulations now, right, in terms of what type of content and what type of stories you can have in these games. Yeah, in a lot of the news reports about the new approval process and also the new content rules this year, a lot of people have kind of pointed out some ridiculous things. So, for example, in the past, uh, showing, let's say, red blood in a video game is not allowed. So a lot of game developers opted for green blood to get around it. So that's another interesting thing, right? Like how people kind of find these loopholes and regulations. But the most recent copy of the approval rules and the content rules is that you can't have blood of any color. Um, and there was a bunch of other very specific things that they pointed out, like um, you can't have any English. Like they have examples like you can't use the word online or web or whatever, like no English in your games. You can't show marriage type systems for minors. If minors are playing the game, you have to kind of not show that, I guess. Anyway, there's a bunch of rules that were so ridiculous. A lot of people were saying like, oh, this shows that it's tightening. But actually, when I spoke to different people in the industry, a lot of them pointed out that one, this kind of content control has always it's been like a mainstay in China's gaming industry. So while the new rules are really annoying, um, people will probably do what they've always done, which is try to find loopholes to get around it. But number two, actually a much more serious issue is this, this whole system of banhao or publication numbers in general. So one of the developers I spoke to, Wang Miaoyi, she's uh, an indie or an independent gaming developer who used to work at NetEase before starting her own studio. This is what she told us. I'm Wang Miaoyi. I'm an independent game developer. The most serious problems with the rules for publication numbers has always been that they're not clear, they're not public. On top of that, the approval process for games is sometimes a lot more strict than that of movies and books. Your games cannot feature suicide, your main characters isn't even allowed to smoke. That's pretty outrageous. For games with stronger cultural elements, if we want to make a good product and export it overseas, it's impossible for us to receive a publication number under these rules. There's actually been a lot of news in the recent years about the big implications games have on the youth of China. It's basically the same thing as we've seen in the West, you know, complaints about, you know, young people playing games more than being outside or studying or stuff like that. And I'm wondering whether, you know, the Chinese government really thinks that games are such a big influential thing on the new generation. So they feel they got to control it because I get the feeling this is more tightly controlled than a lot of other industries. Yeah, so I think addiction is definitely one of the core concerns from the regulatory or government perspective. So in addition to content rules on what you can and cannot have in the game, there's also been a big emphasis on gaming companies building what they call anti-addiction systems. So, for example, maybe you have to tie your ID to it so that way they know whether or not you're a minor. Of course, like an easy workaround is just using your parents' ID, right? Yeah. Uh, but they, let's say like Tencent, they've also, um, they've created a system for some of their games where it restricts how much time minors can spend in the game. Let's say like two hours or one hour, whatever. Um, and it also restricts like when you can play, which is actually similar to something that South Korea had rolled out. I can't remember when, but it was like a midnight law where 
like minors can't play between, let's say, midnight and 6 a.m. So it's not specific to China, though I would say that in China, the rhetoric, like the official rhetoric around gaming is very, very negative. Mm -hmm. Like comparing to a drug, I think that's definitely a reason why they want to kind of curb things. But I think something else to keep in mind is that China also doesn't have an age-based rating system for games. So it means that really young kids can play any game that's in the market. I don't know about Europe, but in the U.S., there are different rating systems similar to like movies, right? Like rated R or whatever to kind of give different levels of access so that you have like this diverse range of games. But in China, actually both the movie industry and the gaming industry, they do not have an age rating system. It kind of keeps, I think, all content at a certain age level. Does that make sense? Yeah, but it just feels like games have been existing in China for a pretty long time. So why is it now a big topic? So actually I spoke to an analyst at Nico Partners, which is this market research firm that specifically focuses on China and Southeast Asia's gaming industry um, about this topic. Because I wanted to know whether or not it's true that the new rules were actually a tightening of the industry or whether it's always been like this. So I'm Daniel Ahmed. I'm a senior analyst at Nico Partners. I think one thing to note in terms of the content regulations themselves is that that's always been a part of China's games industry. In fact, if you want to draw a parallel, you can look back to 2007. And what happened in 2007 was there was this big sort of um, outcry about PC games. Were they becoming too addictive? There's a lot of vilification in the, in the media about this. That was before mobile games were introduced. And so now that we're in sort of this big boom in terms of the mobile space, we're seeing that exact same thing happen again, but this time it's for mobile games. And so that's where this this whole reshuffle um, has come from. So a lot of this has come from just concern around mobile games and how fast that business has grown. China's regulator as a whole has always been very paternal and sort of very hands-on in terms of entertainment industries. This whole reshuffle has just been about trying to um, understand that, that huge growth and work out how to sort of balance the economic benefits of that with sort of the social values that China holds. I think it's important to keep in mind that these strict content rules have always been around in China, and this is something that developers have had to contend with since PC games, right? Like what is and is not allowed in China as defined by the Chinese government. But this is more subjective, right? But I have heard it from other people is that there is a sense that what's allowed and what's taboo in China, that list is growing or there's more uncertainty, which I guess could lead to more self-censorship. So that's more contextual and, again, harder to kind of quantify or verify. But that is another, I think, sentiment or something that's happening here that could also be feeding into this this trend or these new rules. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, because if it's too regulated, then it actually impacts people's behavior and it actually impacts how people progress in games. Because I still get the feeling that due to mobile games and due to kind of how new this industry is, a lot of users, both in China, but also in the West, are still a little bit immature and they've mainly been playing the first generation of mobile games, while as in any other industry, usually you see the second and third generation where it gets more and more complex, you know, with better hardware, better games. And it just feels like these tightened regulations can really impact the development of both, you know, user behavior, but also the quality of the games. So actually, when I spoke to Wang Miaoyi, who's an independent game developer, from our conversation it became very clear that the licensing system, the Bat Hall system, these 
controls over content have a disproportionate impact on certain types of games. So if you have a very simple game that doesn't cross any red lines, let's say, for example, this isn't Chinese, but Candy Crush, like that's a very casual game. There's no storyline that would never be a politically sensitive, a violent or vulgar game that would cross, you know, get in the crosshairs of regulators, right? So those kinds of games are not the type of games that will be affected by new content rules in China. But games that have like a stronger storyline or the focus may be more on the character itself, those kinds of games, number one, they're more likely to be rejected. And number two, it's very hard for you to adapt your game to pass approval. So like even if you have like a gory game, you can just remove the blood, right? Um, that's kind of a fix that you can make more easily than let's say your character is gay or and that yeah. part of their identity is a core part of the storyline. There's no way then that you can even adapt your game to pass approval. You just can't get a license in that case. It's not about coloring, changing the color of the blood. It's about changing the fundamentals of the game. And especially, you know, what we mentioned before about this rating system, she believes that this can have a broader impact on society. What's scary is that people will become very childish. Their thinking will become very childish. If, for ideological reasons, they never let people engage in free philosophical thought, I think it's a huge threat to the existence and development of Chinese culture. I think what's unfortunate is that, like, well, you know, some of the bigger money-making games or the bigger developers like Tencent and NetEase, it'll be easier for them to adapt, but just to kind of show like how easily like a shooting game can be adapted versus like a more story-focused or more narrative game. Like earlier I mentioned that Tencent had rolled out this game called Games for Peace, and basically they took a game that they launched, which is, you know, a copy of PUBG, Player Unknown Battleground, where you run around an island finding weapons and killing other people. So this game, they tried to get permission to monetize it for a long time, and in the end they just dropped it and rolled out Games for Peace, where they just, like I said, sanitize it. So for example, if you shoot someone in the game, there's no blood, and they wave at you before they turn into a box that's them dying you know like that's and but the game was exactly the same even like if I had an account and I opened it up for games for peace my account information history would be ported over so they were able to adapt very easily but you can imagine if you have a storyline again that's maybe based off something religious or spiritual even like there's a lot of games where there's magic and stuff and another problem right that Wang Miao you mentioned is that the rules aren't clear and let's say like magic or something that could be perceived as spiritual or something else, like she mentioned, suicide, maybe it's a game where the character is depressed and that drives the game. If that's over the red line, then what do you do? Like you can't just make a simple fix like what Tencent did with Games for Peace. I think overall this is about creativity, right? And when you have a bunch of rules and regulations, at least mentally it restricts the creativity for a lot of these creators. So instead of them spending time thinking about what's the next cool thing they can do, they need to spend time thinking on how to you know, adhere to the actual rules and regulations that are in place. Because currently, at least my personal view of the gaming industry is that it's a very very immature in China. They are just basically importing or copying a lot of concepts from West. I think it's very motivated by quick ways to make money. And in China right now, I mean, 
you know, everyone that I spoke to said that China is cracking down more on bootleg and copy, like blatant copycatting. I mean, I say that, but then I also think about how closely, you know, like Games for Peace resembles PUBG, which is not, Tencent didn't come up with that. But yeah, like if you are a developer and you can copy a game and start monetizing it um, with in-game purchases, let's say for avatars or weapons or helmets or clothes to dress your avatar with, then you would just do that, right? And you wouldn't invest time in a more risky game, which you might spend months to create, and then you might spend a year waiting for approval. Like, the environment right now doesn't really incentivize creative risk-taking or, you know, um, a lot of gamers themselves feel very strongly about this. One gamer that I spoke to, Hao Hai, who's based in Chengdu, this is what he said about China's gaming industry. If you spend two weeks, three weeks, or a month time to develop a game, I'd have to wait two years to be approved. Then are you still going to make them? You can sum up the status quo of China's gaming industry in one word, copying. Over 95% of value from gaming content in China comes from copying. Intellectual property protection is really clear overseas. You're really protected, and others will give you respect. But in China, they won't. Yeah, so I think that Hao Hai is a pretty, feels very strongly about this. And just to give you some background about him, like his profile as a gamer, most of the games that he plays are overseas games. So he uses Steam for that, which is another interesting part about China's gaming industry because Steam, which is developed by a U.S. company called Valve, it's kind of a gray area. You could even say just like an illegal area. You know, it's a platform that's not blocked in China. But at the same time, it lets developers get around the licensing restrictions in China because you don't yeah. need to go through Chinese regulators to publish on Steam or monetize your game on Steam. But Hao Hai, yes, he feels like he kind of represents like a very negative perspective on China's gaming industry. I did speak to you know other people who were less negative about the content controls because you know like another friend I spoke to pointed out that you can have really good games that are not about killing or stabbing people, but they were still pretty down, I would say, about the lack of quality in China's gaming industry right now. On the other hand, it is less mature than a lot of the Western markets. And I think we should look at the Chinese gaming industry basically the same way as we have looked at a few other industries in China. It started a little bit later, therefore a few years behind in the quality, but thanks to the huge domestic market, thanks to the huge amounts of mobile phones and internet uses over here, you know, it's catching up very fast. At the same time, it is feeding a lot of very profitable internet companies being able to monetize on this, you know, new trend. But the main difference with this industry versus others is obviously about the government regulations, i.e., if you have so many rules, will it kill creativity? Will the Chinese gaming industry have a fair shot at creating really large international blockbusters the way that, you know, in theory at least, is possible considering, again, the amount of users and money and the companies that actually are trying to produce games in this country? I think for developers like Wang Miaoyi, the impact is quite negative and you can only really just then look outward, like publishing on Steam. 
And just to clarify, if you publish on Steam, Chinese gamers can still access it, right? So in a sense, you're still aiming at the Chinese market, but you're using an overseas publishing platform. So for the moment being, that is a way to kind of get around the challenge of Chinese regulations. Um, and actually, during the nine-month gaming freeze on licenses last year, studios like Wang Miaoyi, they were more resilient because they could use Steam and they were able to use these overseas platforms to survive and also continue doing the work that they are interested in doing. But obviously, that is not as profitable as putting out like less risky in, in the regulatory sense games. But I think for Chinese gamers, they'll continue finding ways to get around regulations to access and play the games that they really love or are passionate about. Another gamer that I spoke to who's been playing for uh, since he was little, he's in his late 20s, uh, Li Muotian, he was slightly more positive than Hao Hai. And this is kind of how he explained the Chinese government's attitude towards games to me. I think it's pretty normal that there's a gap between Chinese games and overseas games. If you are 10 or so years behind someone else, it would be more unusual if you were on par with them. So I think we just need time. I think the Chinese government's attitude towards controlling games is similar to how it views VPN. With VPN, the government doesn't want the masses to access outside things. But if you have the ability to, say, scale the Great Firewall to read the New York Times or whatever, then they won't stop you because it's such a small group of people and they won't have any influence on society anyway. Like I mentioned before, in theory, the Chinese gaming industry got huge potential. We got so many gamers here, we got so much money being generated, we got so many people going after that target group. So at least in theory, the Chinese gaming industry should be able to become a world leader, both in terms of quality, creativity, but also in terms of reach, how many people that play their games. But after listening to arguments from different sides here in this discussion and also the people you interviewed, I really get a very negative feeling about the future here. Mainly from the perspective that if I were someone very talented in the gaming industry, I wouldn't want to create games for the Chinese market because there are just too many rules. It would be easier to create a game and put it on Steam and target, you know, all the other countries in the world. Despite all these regulations, it's important to keep in mind that China is still incredibly, like a very profitable gaming industry. Like last year, I think revenues hit $40 billion, and it's still, like I said, the largest gaming market in the world. But what's a pity is that in terms of cutting-edge or more experimental games, and also for smaller or medium-sized gaming studio, like you're not encouraged by regulators, the public sentiment, or at least how media, mainstream media talks about gaming is very negative. You know, like in the U.S., yes, gaming addiction is a concern everywhere, but then you you do get occasional, like, positive signs elsewhere. Like, you know, there's a lot of great things people were saying about Minecraft, right? And there's, that, there's this idea that games can drive positive culture or can be an educational resource or just, like, another type of entertainment that's not necessarily lesser or more nefarious than movies or TV shows, right? And I think in game in China, it is more negatively perceived. And if you're just a developer that sees yourself like, I'm a creative person and games are just my medium of choice, 
yes, it's a lot more restricted. And I think it's a pity that it's another one of those things where you have to lean on overseas resources or kind of put it overseas, let's say, like on Steam or a foreign platform in order to do what you want to do. Whereas it'd be great if you could just focus domestically on your home market and try to influence more or have an, more a larger impact in your own country. And this thought actually represents how the large gaming companies operate in China now, right? So if you look at Tencent, for example, they are the largest owner of games globally. So they use their China scale and Chinese money to go abroad and buy all these innovative, creative gaming studios that operate in Sweden or France or whatnot. And they let them operate individually, you know, publishing games on Steam, etc., etc. And then whenever they identify a game that these companies make that have potential in China, considering both the regulations, but also what the users like, they either copy it or they bring it into China. But that... I mean, short term, from a commercial perspective, it's great for Tencent because they're making money out of it. But long term, for the development of culture and creativity and innovation, this is obviously not super positive because at the end of the day, you want that to move into China and you want to enable all these creative artists or entrepreneurs or whatnot to be able to do stuff on the domestic Chinese market instead of needing to go abroad in order to fulfill your dream. So one thing I just want to emphasize is that it's not that politically sensitive or violent or gory games is equivalent to creativity, but that these regulations have material impact on smaller studios that just want to try new things yeah. or just want a license number or sorry a publication number so one important change that was made in the new approval rules after the gaming freeze last year is that regulators are going to cap the number of banhal or licenses that they give out so every year only a certain number will be approved which could exacerbate the disparity in resources in the gaming industry, aka bigger companies might be able to get more licensing numbers. So something interesting that Wang Miaoyi told me is that, you know, she said the official line is that developers don't have to spend any money to apply for a license. But she said in reality they do, and now it will be more expensive once there's this cap because she was telling me about this rumor in the industry, which is in theory you don't have to spend money to apply, but there are these middlemen or more established gaming companies that kind of have a leg up when it comes to applying or getting approved. Uh, maybe because of the connections they have, or maybe because as a more established studio, it's easier to get approved, right? Because it shows that you didn't just um, you know, pop out out of nowhere or recently, right? And these more established middlemen or gaming companies can monetize that regulatory advantage. Huh. So she told me that um, she had heard that one company would offer to help you get a license um, and say, you don't have to change any of your content and we'll get you a license but it'll cost you 400,000 RMB. Yeah, I think this is a very good case of, you know, a very creative industry getting hit by a lot of government regulations. And the question is, will that limit the innovation in any way? Or worst case, will we see a brain drain from the gaming industry of China and later on let them get acquired back into China whenever the market is ready? Yeah, and I think something that um, I just want to maybe end with is that um, gamers, like users and developers in China have shown to be pretty creative or resilient when it comes to these regulatory pressures, right? Like people, um, like I said, 
getting bootleg copies or doing whatever they can to access the things they want or developers thinking of strange or, you know, interesting ways to get around regulations, whether it's changing the color of blood or looking at other platforms where they can continue doing what they love. Although one caveat to Steam is that Valve, the U.S. company, is working with the Chinese company Perfect World to launch a Steam China. And a lot of people believe that once Steam China comes out, Steam will be blocked. So this gray area might disappear in China and then we'll have to see you know, how developers and gamers deal with that here. A very complex topic in a very large industry. So as always, thanks for listening to Digitally China. You can find me on Twitter at E-V-A-W-X-I-A-O. And I'm at T-O-M-X-I-O. And you can also find us on Facebook at Digitally China. Feel free to leave suggestions, any thoughts you had on our recent episode, or tips for future episode ideas. 